an improvement over young and the restless, might I add. If you're visiting with... Oh, I, I, you know, it's awesome. Uh, you know, for those of you visiting with us and you're thinking, what have I walked into? This is what we call a charismatic Baptist church. <laughs> but, you know, worship is intended to be fun and reverent all in the same realm. And it is our hope that, um, that Jesus Christ brings a smile to your face. I can assure you that when we pass from this world and we enter into the next that we're not going to be robed up uh, singing very solemnly. We're going to be falling on our faces in joy and adoration of a king who died for us and was resurrected. And it's going to be an amazing, amazing time, better than anything that you and I have ever experienced. And I love the fact that worship here in so many ways gives us a smidgen, a hint of what eternity will be. And I hope that you will plug in and be a part of what God is doing and how he's moving in the lives of people and how he's moving in the life of worship here at First Baptist Church. Well, today, uh, you know, I, this weekend has uh, been busy. I was in Cincinnati yesterday, uh, picked up one of our church members whose car broke down and he'd had some medical issues and got back safely last night. But uh, like last week, uh, where I was traveling, of course, went to the inauguration. Uh, and uh, Friday night, I get into the hotel and I thought Jerry McDowell and Jerry Harper were going to check on me to make sure I was behaving myself, but they didn't show up uh, for dinner. And so uh, I went to the hotel to have dinner, and um, there were several people there, very few people in the hotel, uh, very few people in the restaurant at the hotel. Uh, but there were two men, and there was another one that came in. And as we began to talk uh, right around there, uh, lo and behold, they were all from Charlotte. Uh, and lo and behold, uh, one of the wives of the man I went to high school with. Uh, and so, gosh, I was like, I can't even, I can't go to Cincinnati without running into somebody that I, you know, at least a, a family member, somebody that I know. Uh, and as we were talking, of course, uh, most of them were there on business. Both of those gentlemen had been on a flight from Charlotte. And uh, uh, they were inquiring, or I inquired what they're doing. One was working on potentially bringing gambling uh, casinos to the Cincinnati area there on the, on the river, uh, so to speak. Uh, and another one, he was very vague, so I don't, I don't really know what that means. I don't know what he did for profession. But let me tell you, the conversation went wild when they found out what I did. Uh, and so, uh, you know, and it, it has led in the last two weeks, you know, I, I enjoy traveling. I enjoy going to different places because, but the, the reality is this, no matter where you and I go, no matter where we travel to, no matter where our lives lead us, we are always going to run into people that need Christ. And we're always, always going to run into people that desperately, desperately uh, need to have a life that is centered. Um, and, um, you know, every, uh, the last two weeks have just been a, uh, just a, a whole lot, a plethora of experiences of just how lost people are. Um, and how vocalizing they will be about either their immorality or vocalizing how they will be, um, you know, outside of, the, of what we would consider a, a Christian uh, worldview or a Christian norm. And so it's led me uh, to, to examine in the last two weeks. Last week I spoke about the exclusivity of the gospel, meaning that Christ is the hinge on which our faith rests, that there is no other way 
to heaven. There's no other way to the Father but through Him. Uh, There's no other religion, philosophy, God that you and I can commit our lives to that is going to work. It's not about being moral. It's not about being a good person. It is solely based on what God has done through His Son, Jesus Christ. And our entire future and our entire hope rests on the act of God in His Son, Jesus Christ, who made a way where there seemed to be no way. And whether or not we like that, whether or not that's a popular belief, uh, you know, it it makes no difference. Uh, He is the truth. I also talked about how Christianity is not tolerant, uh, is an exclusive religion, and uh, it puts a brother against a brother, it puts a son against a father. When you and I begin following Jesus fully and wholeheartedly, get ready to experience crucifixion. Why would we expect anything less? Because that's exactly what Christ experienced. And so um, some of you have been in the church. How many of you have been in the church, the life of a church, for more than two decades? Let me, let me see you show of hands. Yeah, majority of the people in the room have been in the church for more than two decades. And we've said, uh, at least in the churches that I grew up in and the churches I've been a part of, we've said that the fundamental principle of the church is the gospel. And we need to be sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with everyone we encounter. I mean, is that, that kind of not what we've heard from the pulpit day in and day out, every Sunday. It's always about Jesus, and it's always about sharing His good news. And uh, the problem with that is, it's not exactly true. Uh, Now, some of you, uh, once I say that, you're going to go, oh, oh, where are we going today? Uh, Pay attention to exactly what I'm saying to you. But if you look in Ecclesiastes, in that chapter 9 verse, basically, that scripture, chapter 9, verse 10 is telling us, whatever you do, do well. For when you go to the grave, there will be no work or planning or knowledge or wisdom. So in other words, you and I have an allotted amount of time, and no matter how much we think it is, the 70 plus years, if we're fortunate enough to live that long, it's gone in a breath. I mean, in 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 a wink of an eye, our lives are gone. I remember the day like it was yesterday when I graduated high school. It seems like it was only yesterday, and here we are 22 years later. Um, and, uh, you know, it seemed like just yesterday that, uh, in some ways, it seems like just yesterday that I married my wife. Uh, and uh, sometimes it seems longer than that, but it seems like just yesterday, and she would say the same thing. She's not here today to defend herself, praise the Lord. Um, and so, um, it, you know, it seems like just yesterday, but, uh, you know, it's, it's 17 years, 18 years have passed, me, 18th anniversary this July. 18 years have passed, poof! And it's gone. It seems like just yesterday that we were begging God for kids. God, why? Why can we not have children? We've tried, we've tried, we've tried, we've tried. It doesn't seem like it's going to happen. And then, wow, we've got two. Both of them were miracle children. Uh, and then there are days, I have to be honest, there are days I'm, I say to my wife, and she says to me, what were we thinking? Um, and if you're a parent, I want you to know this is a safe place. Uh, you can vocalize those kind of frustrations because every parent has them. That's just being real. That's just being honest. But I look back over the course of my life in the last 20 years, and it's gone. I turned 40 in November, and some of you senior adults kind of have taken and put your, your arms around my shoulders, and you said, it only gets worse from here. <laughs> your health's going to decline uh, you're going to get more gray hair. Uh, you know, you're not, you don't have the stamina that you once had. And I'm like, 
This is so depressing. I mean, listen, when I get a postcard or a flyer, I'm not supposed to get that from the AARP until I'm like 50. Uh, and I get one in the mail, I'm like, this, 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 the wrath of God should be uh, going against the AARP. But when I look at my life, and so many of you would say the same thing, it seems like just yesterday, and you could fill in the blank, but yet time has passed by. And in the life of the church, we have spent eons, decades, talking about sharing the good news of the gospel of Christ. That's why we give to missions offering, to employ missionaries uh, that are called to go around the world to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And in Matthew 19, verse 20, or I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 28, verse uh, 19 and 20, uh, the Bible tells us, Jesus giving uh, this prescription, go and make uh, disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And what it leads me to do is that we must be, as I shared somewhat last week, we must be in a state of urgency. Uh, We must live in a state of urgency. Of urgency, All around us, and I'm not talking uh, international missions here. I'm not talking about uh, doing a mission project in uh, West Virginia or the mountains uh, of, of Tennessee. I'm talking about right here in Elizabethan, in this city, there are people who are lost. There are people, churches are all around them. Christ is all around them. The Holy Spirit is moving all around them, and they are completely oblivious to... ...to the work of God and completely oblivious to the church. Uh, And they're living their life and some of them are very moral agents. In fact, some of them live, live a better moral life than some of us in the body of Christ. But make no mistake, being in proximity of the gospel, being in the proximity of Jesus... ...doesn't make you a Christian any more than me coming into your garage makes me your car... And I'm here to tell you that you and I need to live in a sense of urgency, a state of urgency in the way that we perceive the interactions that we have, the conversations that we have, how we live our lives. We've got to be willing to do whatever it takes. If you look in the scripture, and there in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, whatever you do, you do well. And I've told you kind of what was instilled in me at a very early age. Uh, I made the mistake of taking my first job at the age of 14 uh, because I wanted money. Um, And my parents' rules about that were, one, you will not work during church, and two, you will not work during the evening because school is your priority, which was very limited about how much you can work. That left Saturday, really, uh, Saturday to work. And so I took a job at 14 working at a grocery store, Winn-Dixie, which has now since gone out of business for the most part. And um, I worked there a couple months. I made a whopping $3.62 an hour when I first went there. It was child labor. Uh, It should have been against the law. $3.62. And I thought after the 90-day trial period when I went up to $4 and a quarter, wow, I can make it. This is awesome. Until I was spending $7 on my lunch meal, on my lunch break. I worked two hours to pay for lunch. That was absolutely ridiculous. So let me, let me say this. I can identify with a population that works for minimum wage. I don't know how you make it. And what I would submit to you is you cannot thrive on minimum wage. You barely will be able to survive, but you will never thrive on minimum wage. I don't care how much you work. And there are people working two and three and four jobs to make up for that, for that encounter. And listen, I was a teenager. I couldn't afford my shopping habits as a teenager, let alone supporting a family at minimum wage. 
And so I went to my father about uh, four months in. I'm like, Dad, I believe I'm more marketable. Uh, I think I'm worth more money. Uh, and, I, and I think that, uh, you know, I think I'm going to go get a new job. I'm going to find another place to work. To which he told me, no, you're not. First of all, I didn't want you to get a job in the first place. Second of all, if a job's worth doing, it's worth doing well. The other thing he told me is, you carry my name. So wherever you go, I go. Whatever you're involved with, I'm involved with. So watch yourself. I want my children, my family, my son to do the absolute best that he can do. And when you fail to give your very best, I'm going to know it and I'm going to let you know about it. Well, that pretty much set the standard because being in a military family, I knew what it was like to get, shall we call, a, um, a comfortable spanking, okay, uh, with dad's belt. I knew what it was like to be grounded. I knew what it was like, uh, you know, uh, some people, my brother and I occasionally would call him uh, the general. Uh, I knew what it was like to live in an environment where you need to produce your absolute best. So whatever you do, whatever you do, do well. And do it to the glory of God, ultimately. So listen, if you're in a job that you don't like, quit complaining. Thank God that you've got one. If you're in a job that you don't like, do it and do it exceedingly well to the glory of God. Let your contentment flow from Him rather than the money or the prestige or the power. If something's worth doing, it's worth doing well. Giving it your absolute best, never being satisfied until your good is better and your better is best. Now, if we look into the life of the church, we would say that first and foremost, we have a responsibility to share the gospel with people. But one of the things I've noticed over the last 20 plus years in ministry is that Southern Baptists are very good about sharing the gospel, meaning we will tell people about Jesus. We're not good with following through on the implications of what sharing the gospel means. Sharing the gospel, telling people about Jesus, letting people know, disseminating information without allowing the Holy Spirit to give inspiration is a mute point. Because when you and I simply share the gospel, when we simply share the good news of Jesus, if we don't follow through in helping them understand their need for Christ, that He is their only hope, if we don't follow through and go the extra mile and do it when we do it and do it well, then people get information, but they don't receive salvation. And one of the greatest problems that I see in the life of the church is an inability to help people connect the dots. For years, we've been about numbers. We've been about reporting baptisms. We've been about sharing the good news, giving, uh, you know, the goal for years, uh, giving $150 million nationwide to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, and sometimes it's been more than that. But the reality is, our job does not end when we merely say, Jesus was born of a virgin, 
He did ministry at the age of 30. He called 12 men to serve with him. They turned the world upside down. He performed many miraculous things. The kingdom of God began when he came on the scene. He pointed people to the Father. He was bruised for our transgressions. He was crucified. He is resurrected. He now sits at the right hand of God. And he's given us the Holy Spirit. And all we have to do is believe in him. If we just tell the story of Jesus and we leave it at that... And we don't help people know, listen, it's not about knowing the story. It's about knowing the author of the story. It's not about knowing facts about Christ. It is about knowing Jesus Christ personally. Then you and I have not done our jobs very well. If we're going to do something, we need to do it well. We must be willing to do whatever it takes, however it takes. How much it costs is irrelevant. It is absolutely irrelevant. If it, listen, if it is going to take 10 or 15 million dollars to plant the gospel in this city so that people, people will come to Christ and experience eternity with Him, then listen, our job is not to push off our initiative because we're never going to be able to do it because we don't have that kind of money. Our job is to accept the God-sized task before us and not worry about the details because when God is for something and God is in something, everything will fall into place. Time and time again, it doesn't logically make sense. It doesn't make sense as you examine things and as you look at things. But when God shows up, He shows up in a mighty way and the impossible is able to happen. And it is absolutely a beautiful thing when you and I are committed to doing whatever it takes, with whomever it takes, however it takes, commit ourselves to Jesus Christ and to make the gospel known to the point that people come to know him as personal Lord and Savior. We've got to be willing to do whatever it takes. And here's, I would go further and say this. Until we are willing to do whatever it takes, God will not honor our work. Because part of serving God is recognizing that without him, we will never, ever succeed with him we can conquer all things. There is no mountain too high to climb. There is no valley too deep with sorrow. With Christ and through Christ and by leaning ourselves into Him, He enables us to do far more and beyond what we could ask or imagine. But you and I have to be willing to do whatever it takes. And secondly and finally, our job is not complete just because we share the gospel. If you look in verses 19 and 20 of Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. And as Southern Baptists, we have underscored baptizing them. We have considered that the end of all ends. As long as they're baptized, they're okay. And many of you, that's what you thought about Christianity. You know, I just need to pray a prayer. I need to be honest with God about myself. And, you know, I come to the altar. I pray, to, you know, I, I pray a prayer. God help me in my situation. I get baptized. I, I tell people I believe in him. And I do believe in him because I have, a, I have a knowledge of who he is. But then as the years go by, just like that, there's a great disconnect. And someone who came to Christ two decades and three and four decades ago, there's little difference in their faith today, in this moment, 
than there was when they initially made their decision to trust in Christ. And that should not be. If you're one of those followers of Christ who committed to Christ, and as you look back over the years and you don't see a maturity, a growth in your relationship with Christ, somewhere, somewhere there has been a disconnect. And sometimes I wonder whether the disconnect did not occur in the very beginning. Because we have misunderstood what God wants us to do. It's not merely knowing the good news of Jesus Christ. It's allowing the good news of Jesus Christ to infiltrate this heart. To infiltrate this mind. To affect our decision. To affect our conversation. To affect every aspect. Not just our home life. Not just our church life. Every aspect of our lives. Because if our lives are worth doing... They're worth doing well. And if you and I want to do life well, we will never be able to do life well without Jesus Christ. He enables us to be able to do exceedingly more than we could ask or imagine. So for many of us, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, 19 through 20 emphasis, it's known as the Great Commission. Because Christ is commissioning his followers to go out into the world. But for many of us, instead of it being the great commission, it is the great omission of our lives. We have omitted the central tenets of what it means. It's not merely sharing information. It is embodying Jesus Christ. It is not just telling people about Jesus, but it's telling people about Jesus in such a way that we ask for them to respond to his holy message and we ask for them to set their lives apart in him so that they will grow in him and be consumed by him so that when it comes to death's door, that the life that they lived was not absent from God, the life that they lived was not a peripheral from God, but the life that they lived was exceedingly done well because they lived a life that was in Christ and through Christ and for Christ and Christ permeate and permeated every sense of their faculties, their actions, their statements, their beliefs and their thoughts so that... When you and I engage people, they are able to sense and know Jesus Christ in us. What a testimony. If you and I would be known by Christ in us more than we're known by our own personalities... Because in Christ, we are a new creation. Let's think about that and what this means. It means that you and I are born in this world and we have a name. And we're given a social security number. And we're given a credit record. And we go through life. And pretty much all of life is about winning. Let's win. Let's win. To the point that when I was in school, everything was about everybody's college bound. You know, let's win. Let's get the, let's get the presidential scholarships. You want, to get, you want to be in the elite class. And those that were doing trade schools were looked down upon. Because they weren't going to college, so to speak. Now when I was in school, like many of you who were in school, if you got a trophy, and I've said this before, when you got a trophy because you're playing on a sports team, it's because you won. And you beat everybody else. Now we give awards to everybody. Oh, thank you for participating. Here's a $50 trophy. Uh, It's ridiculous. Kids have learned how to win. 
We've not taught them how to lose. And that's a big deal for our society. But in this world, everything is about us. I mean, you think about it. You get out of school, trade school or college, whatever it is that you choose to do or whatever you feel led to do with your life, and then you have to apply for a job. What do you do when you apply for a job? You prepare a what? A resume. Now, on that resume, do you talk about your failures? No. no, no, no. You only talk about your success. Anybody can be anybody on a resume. Okay? You want to present your best because you're competing for a position or slot in a company. And you develop, you win awards, you, win, you do academic endeavors, you get awarded this fellowship or that fellowship, and all this becomes your war chest of how good you are. And this is why, this is why it's increasingly hard and even harder for people later in life to come to Christ. Because once you and I have a war chest built upon what we have done and what we've accomplished, then we've got a name. And we can drop that name. And we can pursue that name. And our name starts carrying weight. But when we come to Jesus, we are a new creation. So in other words, no matter how great I want Todd to be, when I come to Christ, Todd is forgotten. Christ must become the center. It's not about what I do. It's not about this award or that award or this fellowship or that uh, accolade. It's about Jesus. And one of the things I want to ask you today is, can you say that your life is about Jesus? Or is your life about you? Is your life about you? Because if life is worth doing, it's worth doing well. And one of the disconnects, because we just tell the good news of Jesus, some of us, the Great Commission, as I've said, has become the great omission of our lives. And I think it's the great omission because many of us, many of us know the story well. But we don't truly know Jesus. And our identity has not been overwhelmed by the awesome presence of God. Because our identity is still caught up in us. Rather than our identity being caught up in the Almighty. All of us have a tremendous amount of work to do. In surrendering our lives to Christ and making sure that our identity fully rests on Him. We like to think that we are pretty good. And the reality is that all of us are good enough to go to hell. But God who is rich in mercy basically bent down in the midst of who we were and who we are. And gave us a hope beyond hopes. An opportunity beyond all opportunities. That we might know Jesus Christ. That we might surrender our lives to him. That he might be the savior of our soul and Lord over our lives as we surrender fully. And our identity gets lost in who he is. We've got to commit to being his disciples. 
We've got to commit to growing in Him. And the way that you and I really know if our identity is lost in Him, how well are you doing spiritually and how much have you grown since your initial commitment to Jesus Christ? Time has passed. Have you grown as much and as fast as the time has passed? As someone who used to love to cram for exams, listen, I could, I could cram for, or I, could, I could study for an exam weeks on end for an exam that was coming up. I would vomit. I could cram the night before papers the same way. Now, I'm not giving you this, uh, college students, if you take this and run with it and you fail, it's not my fault, okay? And some of you, I, I know, some of you, um, would you have a paper assigned? It was amazing to me. I could spend weeks on weeks writing a paper and I'd get a B. And it, B is bad, okay? B is bad in my house, okay? That's kind of the way I was raised. And so I would cram and write a 45-page paper in one evening, okay? Now, I do the research before, but I did have the gift of having this kind of photographic memory. So people, when you have to do the footnotes, I'd memorize the page and the quotes. So I never had to look back at the notes. I could type all the footnotes by memory. So that was an advantage for me. If you have to do all that research, you're going to be in trouble. But here's the thing. I could cram and do exceedingly well. You cannot do that in the Christian life. There is no cramming. There's only time and the condition of the heart. And each and every day, every hour of every day in our daily bread, growing into the Father, Him growing into us, so that eventually our identity is fully lost in Him. And the reason is Simply this, that when we go out and we share the gospel with people, and when we come to understand that sharing the gospel is more than just simply giving out information, that it's connecting the dots, hopefully that people will trust in Him and surrender their lives to Him. We are His ambassadors. And above all, what that means is that for many of us, we will be the only Christ that some people see. I'll give you a point in case, and I'm not going to put this person on the spot. There's a person in this room who's in a position that they interface with adults occasionally. And when I went to a meeting where this individual was speaking to the adults, this person said, I make no, basically these are my words, I make no qualms about my faith. We are going to discuss faith. We're going to discuss Jesus. I love Jesus as the purpose of my life. And everything that I do, I try to make sure it's about him. This is my takeaway. This person is so committed in a profession that you really can't be public about it. This person is so committed that they would be willing to put their jobs on the line for the sake of impacting their audience. Sometimes their audience is adults. Most of the time, their audience is children. And the reality is that that individual who's in this room today, in so many ways, shapes, and forms, is the only Christ that some of those people are going to see. If you are the only Christ that some people see, 
is the Christ that you and I speak about and talk about? Is it a Christ that someone would want to give their life to? Is the reason that we're not reaching people for the gospel, is it because the Christ that we share, the Christ that we preach through our lives is not a Christ worth believing in? We have the scripture to guide us in who he is. We have to have a commitment to share him and share his story and how he has absolutely changed and altered our story. But I'm here to tell you today that as great as we are, and even when we do our job and we do it exceedingly well, we do not have the potential to save anybody. God does it. Sometimes despite of the Christ that we represent. The invitation today is a part of the Lord's Supper. And uh, in a few moments, I'm going to call the deacons down. In fact, they can start making their way down. Uh, I purposely set a chair here, a stool here in front of this table. And what this stool represents is, you know, I would think a table like this, you could probably fit, it would be crowded, but you could fit eight people around this table physically. But when we participate in the Lord's Supper, this table is open to anyone and everyone that would come and know Jesus and make him known. Every single one of us has a unique personality with unique attachments and connections with people. There are people that we know day in and day out that are not followers of Jesus Christ who have probably a head knowledge of who he is but do not have a heart commitment to what he stands for. You know that name. If I ask you, who in your family, who in your immediate contacts is lost? There's a name that comes up just like that. More than simply praying for them, always save them a seat at your table and at this table. The world may have given up on them, but you and I are not. Because we're willing to do whatever it takes. And we are willing to live at life exceedingly well because if life is worth living, it's worth living well. And our commitment from this day forward is not only to be lost in the identity of Jesus Christ, but our commitment is to be used by Him. Father, forgive us when we fail to share the true Christ in our lives. Father, forgive us in our example, in our talk, in our walk for sharing a Jesus sometimes that no one in this world would want to commit to. The Jesus of Scripture is often not the Jesus of the religious rite. The Jesus of Scripture is a Jesus who is compassionate, 
who is loving, that transcends everything that we could believe or hope in. This is a Jesus who died for you and for me and for everybody else in this world who's living a life that we don't understand and we can't comprehend. And I'm here to tell you that there are issues and circumstances in our culture and our society that even if you came to my office and asked me to explain, I cannot explain to you. I cannot give you a reason why this person does this or that person does that. But that does not change the fact that there is still a chair at the table for them. And until life is over, until the trumpet sounds in the east, until Jesus Christ comes into the cloud like a thief in the night to rapture the church, whatever cosmology you may choose to believe in, until that happens, this seat will always be an open invitation for every single human being on the face of this planet and all of the universe. Because at one point, this seat represented us. And now we who have the knowledge of the gospel, we who know the Great Commission, we who have been called to salvation, we who have been called to ministry, calling simple. Do life. Do it well. Share the gospel. And be the Christ that people so desperately need. Will you pray with me? Father, as we come into this place and this time of invitation, this Lord's Supper in which we respond to you as we receive the symbols of your body and your blood, your body that was broken, your blood that was shed on the cross for us. May we reflect and meditate on the Christ that's a part of us the Christ that we share with our family, the Christ that we share in our community. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for messing up so many times. And Father, give us the encouragement and the strength to be a new creation, a valiant warrior, a son and daughter of the King. We are royalty not because of what we do, we are royalty because of what Christ has done in and through us. And to you, we give you all the praise and all the glory. And may this act of worship as we celebrate Lord's Supper draw us closer into your midst and draw others to this table, to this chair, where they, where we have a seat. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.